sponsored by CBD Vermont. They believe that healthy soils, strong local economies, and plant-based wellness go hand in hand. That's why they work with organic farmers across Vermont to grow the highest quality hemp and produce full-spectrum CBD extracts for wholesale. They've recently launched an online store where you can buy Vermont-made CBD products including oils, Capsules, edibles, and topicals that have been fully vetted by the staff at CBD Vermont. As I uh, start to get into old age, have some issues with my knees, sometimes they lock up a bit. Doctor said there might be a bit of a touch of arthritis in one of them. And I uh, recently started using the, the muscle rub from uh, CBD Vermont. I have to say, I've been a pretty pleased customer so far. I've got some more mobility doesn't hurt quite as much as it used to. Yes, they ship everywhere, and as huge music fans, they're offering our listeners 15% off of all products. So go to cbdvermont.com and use the code BEYONDTHEPOND at checkout to get 15% off. already know that Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Or you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio and Netflix is a Joke Radio and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool, the ESPN, and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home, and your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to, and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. I am Brian Brinkman. You're tuned in to a bonus episode of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because, you know, we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic, only focus on their favorite band. Nothing else, nothing about all the other billions of fantastic bands that are out there. We're trying to do something about it, especially in this episode. We absolutely are. And this is a 
very special episode. Uh, if you guys have been following us throughout the year here, we've been tracking our favorite albums of each year of this past decade as we move towards our top albums list of the decade. Things went a bit awry. Dave had a kid, fish tour started, and uh, we kind of stopped this. So um, this is one of two episodes that we're giving you this week, counting down our favorite albums from two of the years this year. Today's episode in question, the year 2013, one of my favorite years musically of this entire decade, and I'm very excited to get into. Um, So Dave, as we do in these episodes... Tell me a little bit about who you were and where you were six years ago from a musical and personal standpoint. What was 2013 Dave like? Um, I view 2013 very fondly. I saw nine fish shows in 2013, which is actually the largest amount of fish shows I've seen in any one year. I know um, the fall tour shows are great. I got to see them in Chicago in a really driving rainstorm. I went to uh, France and Belgium with my wife in 2013, kind of a nice. long delayed, long delayed honeymoon. It's really good records came out in 2013. I also kind of uh, viewed 2013 with a rosy glow because that was the last full year I was childless. So that's why I could go to France and Belgium. <laughs> so I could uh, see nine fish shows and drive my wife to Chicago and, uh, Make her stand in the rain and hear a 25-minute harpua for her one and only show. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I traveled a lot as well in 2013. I think we share that in common. And this was uh, my second to last year of not being a father. Um, I didn't see any fish in 2013. Uh, careful listeners of the podcast will note that I got married at the end of 2012 and spent the rest of the year on the road. I saw Dick's 2012, MSG 2012, and then on February 28th, 2013, my wife and I hopped on an airplane and flew over to South Korea for the second time. And we lived in a tiny studio apartment in Osan, South Korea. Saved more money in a year than I've ever saved in my entire life. I ran a marathon. I wrote a ton traveled to Japan, which is my favorite country on the planet, and more or less got like a lot of things in line. It was a really, really good year overall for me personally, for my wife, and I have a lot of fond memories from 2013 when I look back and the music that I was listening to that was really, uh, you know, just pushing me and making me think kind of outside the box. Uh, I I look back on these records with a ton of fondness. And this is actually an episode I've been very, very eager to, uh, uh, to dig into. But also of note, really good fish this year. This was Fish's 30th anniversary and um, really, really fantastic stuff from a high quality summer tour, a fall tour that I think is their second best tour of the entire 3.0 era and a great New Year's Eve run. Yeah, 2013 was the year that Trey has kind of famously said that the uh, fish really became fish again, kind of where they had yeah. to figure it out once again how to play with that fear and make it really good and interesting. So, yeah, I like 2013. I was, what, 34 years old, didn't have a kid yet, was uh, living life. But, hey, I love my kids, you know. <laughs> yeah, and as we've as we've noted, uh, the music and the the years to come, they they there's a little bit more depth to them all as a result of it. But uh, before we hop into that, let's uh, uh, let's let's talk here about 2013. Dave, what was your number ten record in 2013? Number ten was an album from a band which I believe is defunct now, called the Step Kids. The album was called Troubadour. That was their second album. They were a neo-soul and funk band on Stone's Throw Records. Full disclosure, uh, the bass player and vocalist Dan Ennerberg, very good friend of mine. But I uh, still hold them to a very high standard. This is an extremely cool album. This was uh, They were a trio. They kind of were very good at um, taking old sounds and kind of putting a new 
Neo Soul viewed Spinner on them kind of almost like something you would find digging through the crates. I know that's why they were on Stone's Throw because uh, the owner of that label, Peanut Butter Wolf, I guess heard it cut off their first record and was fascinated and decided to sign them. They were actually um, sort of starting to take off among the jammy set and then kind of decided to call it quits. I know uh, they do session work. I know uh, Danny does a lot of production work. The guitarist Jeff Gittleman does a lot of awesome session guitar playing out in California. So they're all still, uh, still musically active, just not together as a band. need to dig into that uh my number 10 is from i want to say he's still uh in the shadows and, and and relatively unknown as a dj i don't think that he's revealed himself but uh Bur- burial's truant rough sleeper ep that came out i want to say in the early part of 2013 right around the time that i first got to korea and I listened to a ton on the train and when I was going running through kind of this wintry, industrialized valley, uh, and kind of weaving in and out of like factory parts of town and out into the countryside and just absolutely had this record out. It was very much like a zone record for me during that period in time. And um, I had first gotten into Burial uh, through, I believe it was the Kindred EP. Um, I think that I'm noting that correctly from 2012. And then this came out shortly thereafter, and it just fit where I was at musically at that point in time, which is very much in this kind of like ambient, uh, industrialized headspace that has somewhat lifted in the last two or three years, even though I still really love that music. But really kind of defined where I was at middle early to middle part of the decade and there's a lot of records like this the own tricks point never records that I loved the hacks and cloak record that I loved this was kind of right in there with those that um, to me almost I, I think the reason why I loved these records had so much to do with the fact that they reminded me of some of the fish jams I was really really into at the time from like December 1999 or summer 1995 so Burial's Truant Rough Sleeper EP is just a fantastic uh, documentation of that style of music, and um, I absolutely loved it at that point in time. Dave, what do you have for number nine? Number nine, I have a band called St. Lucia. The album is called When the Night. This is their debut album, uh, sitting here in 2019. They had three albums. St. Lucia, um, very 80s indebted, Erasure, Pet Shop Boys um, sounding band. Very much Erasure. I know the singer, I think he actually once sung in, um, his name escapes me, singing like the South African Boys Choir. I know the core of St. Lucia is himself and his wife, and they just make very synth heavy 80s dance music. Not so much even dance music, it's more. Um, I guess flowing orchestral 80s pop that's their best album I think Um, the second record's okay the third one not so much it's weird St. Lucia is a band that I loved a lot and then I saw them live and was kind of disappointed with the live show to the point where I retroactively sort of soured on the band you know how that happens yeah it's kind of crazy yeah the live show was very weird Added the fact that I had lots of talkers around me. I mean, it just wasn't that great an experience. Doesn't take away from the fact that the first two albums are very good. If uh, catchy, flowy, Erasure-style 80s pop is your thing. So, yeah. Win the Night by St. Lucia. So my number nine is a record. Uh, this kind of starts a few records that will be on both of our lists. But uh, Phosphorescence Muchacho which 
Uh, I, I almost don't know if there's a more 2013 record than this. It, it just sounds like early second term Obama to me, like a point where it felt like this type of mindset of young people coming out of the Great Recession, thinking that we had really accomplished something by reelecting Barack Obama, that things just felt really positive in early 2013, really positive. And Song for Zulu, I remember when that song came out, it was like early March. I had just gotten to Korea. It was like one of those just crisp, still wintry, cool spring mornings, but like the sun was shining. And if you were right in the sunshine, like you, you just felt like summer's coming. And I remember listening to that song in my headphones and just thinking, I don't care what happens in my life. I don't care what happens in the world. As long as there's music like this, everything is going to be okay. And more or less, that's true. Um, obviously, I think we can both speak to this. We've been challenged by those sorts of ideas a lot over the last few years, personal ways and worldly ways. But man, I listen back to this record and... Yeah, it just reminds me of a period of my life where I was 28. I was, for really the last time in my life, able to do crazy things like go and live in South Korea for a year. And, you know, I don't know, it just it, it, it's a record that screams of possibilities if you kind of challenge yourself a little bit and put yourself out there and adjust your own perspective and try to surrender to some semblance of flow i love this record it sounds like traveling it sounds like life on the road this was a record that um just kind of hung around throughout the next 15 16 months of my life as i lived in korea and then backpacked throughout southeast asia and then returned back home and basically anyone i was close friends with uh over there shout outs to dallas way and Justin Turner, two of my closest friends from uh, my time in Korea, who, uh, oddly enough, we used to gather at the end of every year and basically do our top 10 countdowns. And, and in some ways, that was uh, kind of like an inception of Beyond the Pond for me at that point in time. But they had this record super high for themselves as well in 2013. And it just really summarizes the way that I felt uh, during that point in my life. And um, yeah, I love this record so much. Like it, the fact that I feel this strongly about this record and it's my number nine is part of the reason why I think that this is, if not my favorite year of the decade musically, um, one of my absolute favorites. I love that record. That's going to show up later. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, I've got another record that's going to show up later on Brian's, I believe. Number eight, Vampire Weekend, Line of Vampires of the City. I think it's still the best Vampire Weekend album. I agree. Um, I went back and revisited it after listening um, to a lot to the recent Vampire Weekend album, of course, being Father uh, of the Bride, which I love very much. It's an excellent record that my whole family can enjoy. My kid loves that album. She loves it because it has Daniel Heim all over it. Um, but yeah, Modern Vampires of the City, I kind of went back thinking, I think this is their best record. I want to revisit it. It is. I think even now, more so than ever, going back to revisit that record, it just kind of shows the band at the peak of their powers. This is before Rostam left the band, so he was still doing most of their production. The production is great. The mixing is excellent. It's probably the best collection of songs, top to bottom. And it doesn't really have an ounce of fat on it. I mean, as much as I like Father of the Bride, that's a pretty shaggy record. Like, Father of the Bride, I think it has 18 tracks, and some of the songs, no matter how many times I've listened to them, still just, I don't know what they sound like. <laughs> it's a weird phenomenon. Like, you got Harmony Hall and Married and Gold Rush and This Life, are like instant classics. Then it's like, I think the second to last song is called Summer's Like Spring Snow, and like, I don't know what the hell this sounds like. What's, what is this? But with Modern Vampires of the City, every song is really focused, really bright, and it just holds together as an excellent suite. And I remember listening to this album, driving down to um, 
Billy Beer Week. This is another thing I used to do when I didn't have children. <laughs> I think for four years in a row, me and friends went to uh, the first weekend of Philly Beer Week, and they take their beer weeks very seriously. So I remember driving down, listening to Vampire Weekend, and everyone in the car singing along uh, when Hannah Hunt came on. With, uh, the big part after the piano, the If I Can't Trust You, then damn it, Hannah. That part. I name my first. Ezra's vocal crack, yeah. man. It's so hard to impersonate, but it's like the best part of that whole record and might be my favorite thing that has ever happened on a Vampire Weekend record. It is my favorite thing. I named my first kid Hannah. Not after that song, but it, <laughs> it, it didn't hurt. That uh, It didn't bother me that my favorite Vampire Weekend song was called Hannah Hunt and I had a kid named Hannah, but we named her Hannah for totally different reasons aside from that song. But anyway... Yeah, number eight, Vampire Weekend, Modern Vampires of the City. In retrospect, that probably should be a bit higher. I listened to that album um, more so than at this point, uh, probably the seven, six, and four on my list. Anyway, what's next, Brian? So it's funny, as we were planning this series out, uh, when I sent Dave over my 2013 list, his first response was, dude, you got to go beyond the pond. Because my number eight record, <laughs> and I've got full justification for it. My number eight record is Fish's Wingsuit. Um, I want to read something that I, I wrote about this right after it came out. I was, I was just looking through my uh, the, the, the essay I wrote about my favorite records this year. Um, so this is my reasoning, my rationale for it. I think that this summarizes it perfectly. On October 31st, 2013, Fish broke with their holiday tradition of covering another band's album and instead debuted their own forthcoming record. No one outside of the band had ever heard any of the 12 new songs before. In an age when seemingly every artist has to shrug and accept their work will reach their fans before its scheduled release, Fish zagged and in turn controlled their own art's destiny. By inviting their fans into the studio with them, they not only engaged in a trust exercise resulting from 30 years of live improvisational experimentations, but they also allowed their new songs to be open to the unknown energy that would ultimately be present throughout the 90-minute set of brand new music. What's more is that of these 12 new songs, many were the direct result of the profound improvisational jams the band has embarked upon over the previous 18 months. Renewed following their five-year breakup, these songs reflect not only the new musical planes the band has reached, but also the far more insightful lyrical passages the band is now capable of writing. For me, as a dedicated Fish fan through and through, Wingsuit merges for the first time ever, no less. The musical sounds of my favorite band with the lyrical prowess of the world of rock, rap, and indie that have long dominated my non-Fish listening periods. From the title track, to the hauntingly relatable The Line, to the Yola Tango-esque Waiting All Night, the nostalgic and emotive devotion to a dream, the spiritual yearnings of 555, the working man's rebellion of a mixed appeal of laughter, which that line kind of sounds a little bit ridiculous now, but <laughs> Wingsuit is as clear a sign as any that 30 years in, Fish is ready to pivot once more towards even more ambitious heights, which I think we can both agree, looking back six years on for as controversial as it was for them to debut a record like this and some of the songs have just not hung around in the rotation for very obvious reasons some of the songs have been sources of frustration for their fan base this was a huge huge turning point for the fish it felt that way in the moment and you know over the last six years the band has debuted upwards of 50 new songs uh and 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 completely change the trajectory of their of their uh, overall career and that's my justification i loved when wingsuit was debuted i loved a lot about it in the moment i listened to it a ton in those last two months of 2013 and um yeah i love that stuff i wish they'd bring back sing monica i like that song yeah it was a fun tune you never know as well yeah you never know Right, I thought that the version of Light they played on New Year's Eve that it was kind of like a You Never Know jam without the lyrics. But, um... Yes. Yeah. The Mr. Peels of Laughter kind of knocks it out of the top 10 for me. Knocks it out of the, knocks it out <laughs> of the top it. 50. <laughs> but, anyway. My number seven, I've got Foles. Holy Fire. 
I know we've uh, talked about Foles in this podcast before. Holy Fire is their third album. That was kind of... Um, the second album was the one where uh, they kind of announced that they were going to be a serious band and kind of here to stay. Whereas the third Foles album is where they got like a bit cocky. Like, they start off the album like an instrumental, going into the first single. The first single um, being the song Inhaler's got these really huge big brash guitars at the chorus the singer kind of sounds like robert smith from the cure being thrown off a cliff like you know holy fire was uh the record where they kind of tried to cement their uh british funk math rock sort of funky cure stylings and say all right we're gonna be a serious british band that you know get like a big headlining slot like glastonbury and like uh and british rock festivals and whatnot and I think they did a, a good job. It's not my favorite Foles album. However, I certainly liked it enough to put it in uh, my top 10 that year. I know it's got some songs that are very, very festival-ready, like the song Milk and Black Spiders. Like That almost sounds like Chemical Brothers. And that song peaks. If you're on like, the right combination of drugs, the Glastonbury Fest, you will see God. So, yeah, Foles, it's good. They're in it for the long haul. They actually... Um, they put out a record this year and they have a part two of that album I guess they uh, recorded at the same time but they're releasing part two in the fall so still very viable still touring, still good so good on you fools so my number seven is a record that until last year this was my last piece of my last favorite record from this uh, artist and um it's a record. I, I think this is probably my favorite record of his. This is Kurt Viles, uh, Waking on a Pretty Days, which, as I remember it being described by our good friend Stephen Hyden, this was like the I just became a dad sleepy at 6 30, 7 o'clock in the morning record of 2013. And for me, I became a dad in 2015, and this rec- record really connected with, with me at that period in time. Um, this album is bookended by two 10-minute-long tracks that feature some of the best guitar work from Vial. Um, it's got some of his best lyrics on it. It's probably his brightest record that he's made thus far. And I think it's the best record the guy's made uh, uh, to this point in his career. I ranked um, uh, his record from last year, which I can't believe I'm already blanking on the title of it. Jesus Christ. What, the Kurt album <laughs> from last year? Yeah. <laughs> um, bottle it in. Bottle it in. Thank you. My goodness. There's so much music, guys. So much music. Uh, I ranked that higher. That was my number third record last year, but I think I, I it's, as, as I've aged with it and listened to all of his records and seen him live this year, I think that Waking on a Pretty Days is still my favorite of his. It's just a really great guitar record, really great songwriting from Kurt, and um, uh, I feel like it's just the peak of where where he's gone thus far as an artist. I absolutely love this record. It still gets very, very regular spins for me. Um, I still remember when this came out in April of 2013. And, you know, you talk about the way I felt when Song, Song for Zulu came out and Spring was just starting to pop in Korea. Like, it was fully there when this record came out. And this was like my... I've got a break at 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm going to go outside and watch kind of the sun just play games against the high apartment towers in Osan and walk a little bit into the mountains and in the farmland and uh just have this buzz in my head it uh it definitely brings back some really really happy really warm memories for me I like that album but I like Violet in more and I like Smoking for my Halo more so that's why that album probably would have made my top 20 if not top 10 so, I've got for my number six, Steve Mason, former frontman of the Beta Band. The album was called Monkey's Mind in Devil's Time. This, um, since he dissolved the Beta Band, Steve Mason's put out a, a series of solo records, both under his own name, both under the name uh, uh, King Biscuit Time. You know, he also had um, an 80s-inspired electro album under the name... Uh, Black Affair, I think it was called. But of all the Steve Mason output, I think Monkey's Mind and Devil's Time is his best album. It's certainly um, 
the best thing he's done since the beta band. This was a really big, kind of depressed sounding Pink Floydian album. At least the first half is very Floyd, very, um, uses gospel choirs for choruses to drive things home. Very expansive, lots of reverb. And the second half of it kind of skews a bit more towards uh, like political hip hop. Almost, I think I read a review basically saying the first half of the album is like him inside of his house looking on the outside and he can't stand it anymore so he breaks his window and runs outside something like that but this album it really didn't make much of a splash on these shores which I think maybe is due to the fact that he doesn't really tour here much because of visa issues Monkey's Mind and Devil's Time is a bit of a mouthful cover art was kind of ugly but if you like the beta band and you like other things that Steve Mason has done, if you really feel like his voice is um, a connection to your soul, this is his best album. And I really think it's one of the best psychedelic pop albums to come out over the past several years. I still listen to it on a fairly regular basis. So check out Steve Mason, Monkey Mind, and Devil's Time. I know there's like some people I've recommended this album to on Twitter and then out of nowhere they're just like holy fucking shit so <laughs> I'm recommending it to you now I'm gonna have to check that out I love the uh, the records on here that neither one of us we, we were we, I don't think we knew each other we may have interacted once or twice on Twitter at this point in time but uh, I love the like crossover but also these records that I've just never heard before that you were you were super into um, so my number six uh, is Magical Clouds Impersonator. Uh, this record, I haven't really, I don't think Magical Clouds exists as a band anymore, and I didn't necessarily like their follow-up album to this, but I remember... Isn't it just like one dude? It's two guys. It's a singer and a, and a DJ who plays kind of like very... Um, Devin Welsh is the is the singer. Uh, Matthew Otto is the synth programmer. Um, very light instrumentation and uh, melodies behind Devin Welsh's very strong conviction lyrics um, that worked perfectly for me at this point in time and uh, have held up. I can listen to this record here and there, but um, for me, I was, I was, so I, I was giving my students a test and I was kind of bumming around on the internet and I came upon Pitchfork and I was reading through the reviews and uh, Jason Green, who's become one of my favorite writers at Pitchfork, uh, introduced the record this way. It was a quick little paragraph that just totally sucked me in. Imagine someone at your otherwise mundane party has dropped ecstasy. He's the only one there who has done so. Flushed, sweaty, intense, he stares everyone directly in the eyes and says things like, I see this light coming from behind and growing to enormous size. This is magic. Ignoring everyone's obvious discomfort, he presses on mercilessly. Hey, mister, he asks, locking eyes with you. Don't you want to be right here? Uh, if anyone knows anything about Korea, it's that the idea of psychedelics are just totally impossible to take part in. And so for a year I spent, you know, reading about and engaging with the fish community in a completely dry country aside from their massive alcohol consumption. So reading things like this, I was like brought back to this very psychedelic young American world that I had left. And uh, I, I was like, I have to listen to this fucking record. And I remember throwing it on and it just spoke directly to where I was at at that point in my life. And um, it's very honest. It's very forthcoming. It's very much like you're talking to someone who is on ecstasy and you can only handle in small doses. So like this record I'd listen to, it would affect me really profoundly and then I'd be gone and I couldn't listen to it for another like six weeks. And that's kind of how it's been. And I don't necessarily put this on on a regular basis. It's not really a record that's followed me from 2013, but holds a very, very... Uh, uh, deep place in my heart and in my conscience of where I was at in that at that point of the year, um, or at that point of the decade. So let's move into the top fives here, Dave. What's your number five record? My number five is Phosphorescent Muchacho. I know uh, Brian, you already gave a pretty thorough discussion of this, so I don't have much to add except to say that it's uh, 
pretty close to a perfect record. And the singer, songwriter, is phosphorescent, Matthew Hook, at the time he wrote this record, I think he was drinking a lot and living in a loft in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, that he was like trying not to get evicted from. And it kind of reflected somewhat of a turbulent period in his life. I know in the past year, I think the most recent Phosphorescent album came out last year in 2018. Brooklynites have since lost him to Nashville. And he's married and he has a kid. He might be sober. It's a much happier record. But the last Phosphorescent record, Say La Vie, is good. I like Muchacho a lot better. And I also um, I get a kick out of the fact that Matthew Hook kind of looks exactly like uh, the person who plays the guy on um, the show High Maintenance on HBO. The professional weed dealer. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. Kind of the same person. I think his name is Ben. I forget. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, not to belabor the point, Phosphorescent Machacha, my number five, fantastic fucking record. Really is. It deserves to be on both of our lists. As does the next record. Which, if you know anything about this podcast, you know we love fish. You know we love kind of taking the piss out of fish fans. Uh, You know we love analyzing fish in a very sincere and genuine way. Also a slightly critical way. Uh, You know that we love the war on drugs. And you also know, and we expect a deep groan from a corner of the fan base here. We both love the National dearly, which is why the National basically always shows up on our top albums list. And in 2013, the National put out what is probably the most national record that's ever been made. Um, You could argue that it's Boxer or Alligator, but this just feels to me like the National conscientiously went into a a studio and tried to make a national record. Um, this record, Trouble Will Find Me, I loved it in 2013. And then, and Dave and I have talked about this, I think if you go back and listen to our um, Sleep Well Beast uh, uh, first impressions episode uh, back in 2017, this record kind of fell out of my rotation for a while, and I didn't listen to it for about two or three years. You know, here and there I'd toss it on. There's a part of me that thinks it might be the strongest national record of this decade, even though High Violet is my favorite. Um, This is just song for song, some of the cleanest and clearest messages the national has ever put forth. Uh, And it concludes with songs like Pink Rabbits and Hard to Find that are some of my favorite national songs ever. When I first saw the national live in 2017, these songs just leapt off the stage in a way that I did not expect from this record. Um, this will be the last time and uh, Graceless uh, of Note just were unbelievable live. And neither one of those songs I was really anticipating or begging for. But I love this record. I probably put it on once every couple of weeks and just find myself listening to it all the way through. It's very easy to kind of hear um, uh, passing through on kind of a you know, just over a course of an hour. And um, it really marks a cool moment for the national when, um, you know, they, they kind of were transitioning from being this young up and coming indie rock band to more of like a stalwart band that they can make something of like a defining record of what their overall sound is. So trouble will find me. I absolutely love that record. As do I. We'll uh, show up a little bit later. <laughs> so my number four is from... Um, I think the brothers. It's a duo called Disclosure. The album's called Settle. So, this is a record I've literally not listened to much in a while. It's got some serious bangers on it. I know that the follow-up album was very poor. I uh, was unimpressed with the follow-up. I think album number three is in the works pretty soon. They certainly still exist. But yeah, this was, um, they were young guys. I think they were in their, their early 20s. DJs just putting together some um, very banging, very British dance tracks. I know um, the song Latch basically introduced the world to Sam Smith. That's probably the best song on the album. It's one of those things 
You don't know the name of it, but you hear it and you say, oh yeah, I know this song. That's by Disclosure. Okay, cool. But yeah, I don't have that much to say about it except that it's a really fantastic dance album that I listened to a ton in 2013. Haven't listened to quite as much since then. But I feel like I need to revisit it now because I put it up there fairly high. <laughs> so my number four is kind of on the opposite spectrum. Mine is uh, like a cabin, like a secluded cabin record in the woods. Uh, Bill Callahan's Dream River. Record that opens with the song The Sing, that if you know this record if you know bill callahan you know that contains one of my favorite lines ever put to pen well the only words i've said today are beer and thank you beer and thank you and you hear him just ordering another beer at a dive bar in the middle of nowhere it really sets the tone well for this record uh small plane Winter Road, I mean, just some fantastic songs on here that this was the last record we got from Bill Callahan before he became a father and put out a fantastic record here in 2019 um, that I've been listening to like crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. It uh, It's the kind of record, it just feels like a mellowing late summer sunset. Kind of carries this very weighty magic that just feels like it sits in your belly. Everything in life just feels right when you're listening to this, even just for one fleeting moment. And um, I've listened to this record countless times here throughout the last six years, especially when I didn't know if we were going to get another Bill Callahan record for the rest of the decade. This will definitely end up high in my list here in uh, the 2010s when we compile our list. But uh, I absolutely love Bill Callahan's Dream River. If you haven't listened to this and you're a fan of kind of a more acoustic singer songwriter stuff that we have featured here on this podcast over the years uh, i would definitely definitely re- recommend this i've got for my number three yola tango fade mm. phenomenal album still listen to it on a pretty regular basis um out of the albums that yola tango has put out in the 2010s being fade stuff like that there and there's a riot going on. Uh, Fade is definitely my favorite of the three. It's just a very confident album from um, a band that that far into their career really has no business making albums this good. You know, it was uh, a bit of a change of pace because almost every album from um, 1993's Painful up to this point have been produced by kind of the fourth member of the band being Roger Mutino. But this album, was produced and mixed at Stoma Studios in Chicago by, of course, uh, John McIntyre, kind of best known as the drummer for the Tortoise and C and Cake, and um, Chicago producer Man About Town, more or less. This album starts off with Ohm, which is just an incredibly bright statement of perch, uh, a purpose to kick things off. The song Two Trains almost has like some oblique reference to Hurricane Sandy which hit the year before and sort of uh, soaked Nola Tango's then home city of Hoboken, New Jersey. I don't know if the lyrics were intended that way but kind of sort of came off as such. It's just top to bottom all these songs are songs that still frequently crop up in Nola Tango's live shows and they just knew that they had something really good on their hands. I think it's only 10 songs. It doesn't doesn't overstay its welcome and it's just remarkably fresh and an excellent reminder of why I've seen this band so many times and have so many of their records it's just uh you know you can listen to it over and over again and not get tired of it so very happy they put that record out and I don't see myself not listening to it anytime soon yeah, that record, I think it was my 11th or 12th favorite record of the year. And I think in hindsight, that would be much higher for me. Uh, that record has been, if Yola Tango is capable of making a grower album, that record has grown on me heavily over the last few years. And that song, Two Trains, is uh, just one of my favorite record, favorite songs I've ever heard from them. And just kind of period, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. But um, my number three 
So I have, ever since I was first passed the record Space is Only Noise by Nicholas Jar, it's been like the perfect kind of dance electronic music for me. Um, it's kind of like this like thinking man's dance music. Uh, I wore that record out um, as best as you can wear out a record on an iPod. And then when I found out he had started a side project with a guitarist named Dave Harrington and side project was dark side and they named their albums uh, psychic. I just had to listen to it. And I'll tell you in the fall of 2013, when half the people I knew were telling me that random excess memories was the greatest dance record of the year. And the other half the people were telling me arcade fires reflector was the best dance record of the year. All I wanted to listen to was uh, dark side psychic. And while Random Access Memories has grown on me a ton over the last uh, six years, and I love that record a lot now, um, I never understood the love for Reflector uh, by Arcade Fire. Um, this was the end of the world party that I wanted to listen to in 2003 or 2013. Um, I listened to this probably like a hundred times in the fall of 2013. It was, I mean, it's filled with like very melodic, beat-driven music. It's like dimly lit 70s era Floyd um, it's just unbelievable stuff very very long jams in Golden Arrow Paper Trails is incredible the only shrine I've seen is probably like a top five song of the year for me it just has one of the most infectious beats I've ever heard um, and then Metatron uh, that concludes the record it's very sublime it's got this melodic bliss to it I mean this is exactly what I wanted to hear and you know, it makes it all the better that over the last six years, you know, Nick, Nicholas Jar put out a series of EPs in 2015 and then a really solid follow-up record in 2016 um, that, uh, while it didn't make my top 10 that year, is definitely a record I've come back to. But then Dave Harrington put out one of my favorite records earlier this year, and um, I've, I've been listening to Dave Harrington. He's up on Relisten, and his uh, the group that he plays with is just really bizarre, atmospheric, acid jazz, psychedelic jazz. It's just incredible stuff. And um, to follow these two guys both together and separately, and they haven't made a record together since. I don't know if they ever will. Um, makes it all the better. So Dark Side Psychic, this was my number three of 2013. That is an excellent record. And, uh, yeah, man. Dave Harrington's doing some phenomenal stuff right now without Nicholas Jar. But uh, Dave Harrington, yeah. it, it, his Merry Pranksters is one of the most reliably cool shows to see in NYC. I know he plays he plays other cities, but he definitely has kind of like an ongoing residency in some parts of New York. It's, yeah, there's uh, a show of his up on Relisten that uh, was from, I think, February 1st. Um, and I just, I've probably listened to it, you know, 20, 30 times this year. It's been just such a reliable, I got to listen to something, throw that on. And it's just been fantastic. So for my number two, it's an album that Brian already mentioned, the national trouble will find me. I think this is my favorite national album of the 2010s. I'd say it's probably my second favorite national album overall. Number one being alligator. This is, um, it's got a lot of songs. I think it's got at least like 13 songs on it. And it's, what's interesting is that relative to other national albums, this is the one where the production values, while not what you'd call lo-fi, seem like the least buttoned up. And as a result, the songs really kick live. Like you look at their set list now, and at least on any given night, you'll probably still hear about four or five different songs off this album, irrespective of the fact that... Um, at this point, it's uh, I guess six years old. But I mean, songs like This Is The Last Time, Graceless, Sea of Love, Pink Rabbits, Don't Swallow The Cap. And these are all pretty ingrained in, in national sets, especially Don't Swallow The Cap. Whatever reason, when the national makes set lists, I know in the most recent tour, they'll play like four songs with the new record and they drop in the Don't Swallow The Cap. People go, yay, something we know. <laughs> but yeah this is um, like Brian said it's a very national sounding national record and it just it's the closest that the national come to having like bangers on stage 
So that's my number two. So my number two is one of my favorite bands of the decade and uh, one of the most reliable bands of the decade with probably their most controversial record. That's Deer Hunter's Monomania, which is, well, you have to set the context for this. This came uh, about, this came three years after Halcyon Digest, which is definitely in the running for, if not top three album of the decade for me top one album i mean it's it's one of my favorite records it's a go-to for me over and over and over again um they then essentially put on a leather jacket walked into a garage and played this made this incredibly noisy angry somewhat ugly not very pretty record that the more you listen to it the more you hear like the shimmering undertones um a lot of people expected them to follow up Halcyon Digest with another Halcyon Digest, and they just completely went the opposite direction. Um, you know, you throw on Neon Junkyard into Leather Jacket 2, and it just sounds like a band that only wants to, they're only focused on how gritty and how loud they can sound. Um, I didn't like the record at first, it felt very one note, and then kind of in the middle of the summer 2013, it just clicked, and I just found myself absolutely loving this record and for the last half of 2013 i felt like i could hear sounds underneath the noise i had not heard before um and it really just made it just kind of like a gushing record for me just like sounds just kept like cascading into my ear um it's not really a record i can listen to with a lot of other people because i feel like it's one of those records you have to listen to over and over again to like finally have it click but I loved this record, and by the end of 2013, I was listening to this record on a near daily basis in my headphones, and it just had so much energy, so much angst, but also like this underlying beauty that uh, I just couldn't get enough of. Um, so yeah, Monomania, Deer Hunter, my number two record from 2013. Love Deer Hunter. Didn't love that record when it came out. I think I was uh, so into Halcyon Digest, like you said. And then Monomania comes out. It's very garage. It's very lo-fi. Almost like they're take, doing a piss take at one point. I know that was the time when um, when the front man was kind of prone to doing weird performance art stuff. Like kind of being a bit of a jerk on stage and just playing the one song Monomania yes. for like 25 minutes at a time. And, you know, some stuff like that. But Anita... I should go back and listen to that album because I certainly enjoyed the two that they put out after it being Fading Frontier and uh, oh god what's the new Deer Hunter the latest one called why hasn't everything uh, why hasn't everything already oh, disappeared okay. yeah if, uh, Fading Frontier um, that that ranks very high up for me um, in 2015 I love that record that was uh, that was a new dad record for me uh, Monomania I don't know it uh it could have very easily not made this list for me and then it just clicked and it's crazy that it did so my number one album of 2013 is from a band that as far as i know still exists i think they might be on a bit of a hiatus but they've kind of been lost in the shuffle a bit and they really shouldn't be and that's the band is called savages the album is called silence yourself so Savages are um, a European post-punk, female post-punk quartet consisting of Jenny Beth on vocals, Gemma Thompson on guitars, um, I believe her name is Isa Hassan on bass, and Faye Milton on drums. They raise a holy racket. That album, that album is a knife. In 2013... <laughs> They played a lot of shows in the States, and they played a bunch of shows at South by Southwest. They played New York City several times. Um, they played Pitchfork Fest in the broad daylight. I saw yeah. them at Pitchfork, and even at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they still completely slayed the audience. They have a brand, a very dark, sinister, gothy post-punk, probably most compared to Joy Division, Bauhaus, Echo and the Bunnymen, and... Just kind of like the rock and roll fury and the topics that they explored on their first album made it kind of like a band got it so completely right on their first record 
then there's almost nowhere to go from there but down. Uh, in 2016, the follow-up album, uh, Adored Life, came out, and while very good, it just kind of felt like a somewhat watered-down version of their debut, and they haven't put out a record since. I know, um, I think they've been involved in various side projects. I think, like, the rhythm section kind of had a side project with, like, different vocalists or whatever it was. It hasn't been Savages, so I kind of haven't been paying much attention, but... In terms of a really good album to test out the uh, test out the bass levels on your headphones, certainly uh, silence yourself and get that done. It's just their sense of dynamics, the sense of space, the uh, Jenny Best's ability to do spoken word and then sing and then shriek at the drop of a hat. There's like parts in the uh, single "Cities Full," basically the band drops out. And then everything comes back in at once. And my wife, who was an uh, excellent taste in music, said, this part of the song, that's the most exciting piece of rock and roll music in 2013. And she's not wrong. That's uh, City is Full is probably my favorite song of 2013. And uh, the song She Will from that album also isn't far behind. I've seen them live twice to absolutely slay, and I hope they come back soon, because it's been three years since their last album, and they're simply too good not to exist. So I encourage you to go back and check out Silence Yourself by Savages. That was a very 2013 powerhouse record. I still remember when that came out, and played that very loud a few times uh, in my apartment in, in Korea, and even got the neighbors banging on the door uh, one of those times. So, very, very good stuff. Banging on the door in rhythm. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, my number one record is uh, Vampire Weekend, Modern Vampires of the City. Um, I realized this when this record came out, but but I'm, I'm the exact same age as uh, Ezra Koenig. And I can hear, like, especially in the first three Vampire Weekend records, they just, like, coincide with exactly where I was at in life at the time. Uh, The self-titled record being this kind of party that you just don't want to end, but you know that, like, these looming big life decisions are coming at the end of college, but you just still want to keep living this kind of youthful dream while still like while like having these like big ideas because you think that you're educated and you know something um that's like all over their self-titled record it's very uh i mean there's there's an immaturity to that record that i absolutely love in the fact that like they think they're way smarter than they actually are and it's something that you can kind of only relate to in late college um contra is then this like first step into adulthood and um this kind of disillusionment that you feel towards the world and like the realities of the world that you have to come to grips with at that point in time for me like taxi cab and run just like perfectly summarized where i was at and they were two of my favorite songs of 2010 and then this record came out and you have a few years distance between your youth and you've separated from some of your friends and you've gone in different directions and you're getting suddenly some wisdom about you and uh Maybe you've traveled, maybe you've seen some shit in the world that uh, has ironed out your perspective a little bit. Perhaps you've lost some people close to you. There's there's something about uh, modern vampires of the city that really acknowledges and accepts that like death is a real thing that's coming for you, for your friends, for your family, for the first time for these guys. And and for me, this record connected on such a massive level. Um, of all the records I listened to in 2013 and loved, this is the one I played the most. Similar to what you were talking about, Dave, uh, with singing Hannah Hunt. Uh, I was I took a trip with some of my best friends. Uh, another shout out to Dallas Way down to uh, Busan, the beach-esque town in southern South Korea. And uh, we were in a taxi cab one night, probably at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and we got the taxi driver to plug in our ipod and blast hannah hunt as we drove through the streets of busan <laughs> and we just like screamed the lyrics to hannah hunt out and uh tried to teach him the lyrics of the song it didn't work out as well but it was it was all a, a lot of fun but 
I mean, I feel like this record just has like six perfect songs to, to kick it off. Uh, Yahe is a phenomenal uh, song towards towards the end. Um, Hudson is an amazing track. Young Lion is really beautiful to end it. I mean, I listened to this record over and over again in 2013, 2014 when I was uh, traveling, which we'll get into here in the next episode. Um, it just, it meant so, so much to me at the time. It connected with me in a very profound way that uh, all my favorite records of the decade thus far have. And um, I... I will vouch for this record for anyone who has any questions about Ezra Koenig's songwriting prowess or his abilities as a leader of a band. This record, I, I just try to, I dare you to find something that you really despise about this record if you're listening to it in a really earnest way because um, it's it's some of the best songwriting of the decade and it's one of my favorite records I've heard uh, my entire life. So Modern Vampires of the City, number one record of uh, 2013. Osiris. Oh,